Hey, everybody, we're talking to David Moore today. What an amazing guy. He's a world-class blade sports competitor, musician, and even a city councilman. He has an incredible story about music and muscle shoals, and he's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, we have a fantastic guest today, Mr. David Moore, a.k.a. Big Hand Dave. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. There's certain guests that have reached out to us and we have on the show others that we've reached out to to get them on the show but some of my favorite guests are ones that people just come up to me and they say you have got to get this person on your show this this person has got to be on the last 10 percent and i've had multiple people come up to me family members come up to me and they're like you have got to get big hand dave on your show so i have been so excited let's jump right in you are you live in a place that some in the music industry would would like actually think of as like the Camelot of music, right? Where do you live in relation to music? I live in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, not too far from the airport. <laughs> so I live in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, born and raised here. Growing up, I had no clue that Muscle Shoals was a music mecca. We listened to music. I love music. Mom put me in music lessons, piano lessons when I was five years old. I just love music and, you know, the radio stations here were amazing. I thought everywhere was like that. We had good music, but what I didn't realize until later on, way later, is that some of the studios here were playing some of the newly recorded music at the radio stations. So we would hear stuff and have heard it for months and love this song and we would go visit family out of town or go visit some of mom and dad's friends of Florida or whatever. And this song come on. They're like, man, what do you think about this new song? And I'm like, new song? What are you talking about? This thing is oh, old. That's We've incredible. been hearing that for months. It's pretty cool. They were releasing studio recordings at the radio station in Muscle Shells. So they were recording new songs and seeing how it played on the they radio. They were seeing how it played on the radio. A radio station, WLAY, would play a lot of the stuff and the people from the studios and artists would sit out in their car after they took the tapes there, sit out in their car and they would listen to it play on the radio just to see how it sounded. And I didn't know that till years later, just how much music and you can walk down the streets here and see Marty Raven, lead singer Shenandoah, you can see Gary Baker, who has sang in a bunch of different bands. He wrote the song, I Swear. You just run into wow. 
all kind of, all kind of people that are just people. And uh, it, it's really cool because, uh, you know, you may see Walmart and Publix and they, it's just like seeing a brother or seeing a family member yeah. say, hey, and just go on about your business. It, uh-huh. It's a really cool experience growing up in Muscle Shoals. I, I got to play music. Some of my music teachers, Andrew Lang, who he's in uh-huh. Los Angeles now. He was my keyboard teacher. One of my last keyboard teachers, but he was one that really got me playing out in bands and really put me out there. And other than just reading sheet music, he actually played for Brian McKnight and he's, he's a great guy. Talk to him on Instagram and Facebook every now and then, but Andrew Lang's his name, Barry Billings. I got to learn guitar from him. He, he played and toured with Marie Osmond. He was in a band called The Shooters, which that was really cool. And we actually went to church together. When you look at Andrew and Barry, because you are, I love your interest and love of music. And you've mentioned playing the keyboard, but you play multiple instruments. You were being taught at the feet of some real masters. What was it like when you look back on that experience of being trained musically by some really great musicians, Barry and Andrew? What do you remember about their experience? Was there anything different about what they impressed upon you than, say, the average music teacher? Yeah. I had no clue who they had played for when I was taking mm. lessons. They, they were just super encouragers. And I think because they had played out, they had played on the big stage, that experience translated into the lessons and they were able to teach more than just notes and numbers. And they were able, through just talking, they were able to teach gigs and teach kind of life experiences through playing out. And uh, and, and there's nothing that sticks out that I remember exactly. But I remember Andrew, I was playing keyboard. He was teaching me keyboard lessons and we was, doing stuff and I learned to play Skid Row's 18 in Life. And that's uh <laughs> I don't know if anybody ever even remembers that song. But that that's a song that kind of sticks out. And one major thing in playing music is song selection. And you yes. really gotta know your audience. And that's one thing. I guess the biggest thing that they impressed upon me is knowing your audience and being able to match music up with the audience. Mm-hmm. and what fits with you because at that point in my life that skid row 18 life that that kind of hair hair band kind of stuff that was what was going on and that was what i was listening to and andrew yeah. took that and took my passion for music and what i was listening to and really built upon my passion of music now what mm. if he would have said, hey, play this Mozart thing, it it wouldn't have grown. He knew what fertilizer to put on my music to actually make it grow and to build it. And that's that's in with song selection. And that's what I was interested in, the songs and what I could do and building up into to stuff that was harder and expanding. And Mary did the same thing. So that's that real-life experience from a teacher is you just, you can't buy that. It's just so much more than just teaching you notes. I think that a lot of people go into 
especially if they have no background in music and the teachers, they've got a teacher that just is trained classically or whatever. Not that anything's wrong with that. It's just that when you get into it, there's so much more. It's like you were saying, there's so much more than just the notes. It's the, it's, you're saying the gig experience and understanding your audience. And then really what I love about that is that he knew what you were into. He pushed you in that direction. It's almost like if you can cultivate that love and you can cultivate that and tap into that passion and drive, you just have a lot more energy to put into it, which is what it takes to learn and, and go through all the grind of learning a musical <laughs> instrument in the early part and the early stages rough. And so at least you can be rough playing something that you really want to learn and you put that extra effort to it. And I think it keeps you from getting burnt out. I think a lot of young musicians, it's like you were saying, if he'd have pushed you into Mozart or something like that, you would have done it as long as you had to do it. And then you would have probably lost interest in burnout and went somewhere else. And so I think tapping into that, man, that's awesome. That's really good stuff. So you've, you had a story you were telling me before the show about hanging out and there was a Mexican restaurant and some of the folks that were at that Mexican restaurant, Barry, your teacher was there. Tell us about the, tell us the name of the restaurant and just, just paint the picture of who was there and what was going on there. The name of the restaurant was La Fonda's and it's no longer there. It was in Florence. It's a Mexican restaurant. It, uh, it was like the music Mecca at that time. A group played every Saturday night called Iguana Party. And they had a big, they had a big, a big thing up that's La Fonda's Guana Party, Don't Drink the Water, some kind of something like that. <laughs> it was really cool. And there's, which we didn't talk about, there's a lot of music festivals around here. W.C. Handy is from Florence. You got Muscle Shoals. Then Tuscumbia has the Helen Keller Fest. So there's some towns here. So there's a lot of, there's four towns. And there's a lot of activity within those four towns. It's called the Shoals area. But uh, man, we, we would go listen to music there and you never knew who you would see. And later on, I got to play with them and sit in and they would play music and then they would have artists that come in to sit in. And some of them were students of Barry's and some of them were musicians. I grew up, that's where I met Chris Tompkins, who he's a great songwriter, wrote Before He Cheats for Carrie Underwood. And a ton of other songs. Jason Isbell, Gary Nichols, formerly from the Steel Drivers. So all of those guys got to get up and play one or two songs. They're playing these. All these people are playing at this Mexican restaurant called La Fonda. Yes, all these people are playing. There was a band and like a core band was with Barry Billings. Of course, he toured with Marie Osmond and wrote songs and done a lot of studio work and taught lessons and stuff. Then. Danny Kirsch was a drummer. I think he played for Atlanta Rhythm Section. Then Joey is a bass player, and Mary was the singer. And then you had all these other components of musicians that just kind of filter in, and they would go up and play. You never knew what you would have. Will McFarlane, who played with Bonnie Ray, he showed up and oh, played man. up there. We were Jason Isbell. When Jason was still in high school played there chris tompkins wow. he was still in high school he played keys with them it was just uh, you never knew who would show up you're sitting in on some sessions with these people you're playing with the band too you're getting in on this as well yeah just playing oh, everybody's man. eating chips and salsa and enchiladas <laughs> and there's a back room 
And it eventually got to where if you was going to sit there, you had to get there early. Wow. You had to be there early and get your food and eat. And I remember they had a, so many people came to this restaurant and just to listen to music because you never oh, gosh, knew yeah. who was going to be there. It was just a, it was a great thing. So many people came. The restaurant started saying, Hey, you gotta, you've at least gotta order so much food or you've gotta order, you gotta order something to oh, sit here. People would just come and just get a thing of chips and a tea or something like that. Yeah. And just listen to the music. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. But it was always, it was just packed wow. out. So you, that's awesome. A lot of folks. That's there. awesome. A lot of folks. So you're in Muscle Shoals, the Camelot of music, and then you've got this La Fonda, which is like this kind of un unknown to the rest of the world, great hub of amazing musicians that are coming through, songwriters and great players, music. And you just start just diving into that, playing with all these different bands. And, and so tell us how many different instruments you play, because this is impressive that you can play all these instruments. I try to play everything I pick up. Uh, I don't have as much time now to do that. But when I was younger, I had such a passion about playing that I, from band in high school, I played drums and tuba and bells and xylophone. And uh, I played, my sister played trumpet. So I picked it up and started playing it a little bit. And then my brother played saxophone. So I picked it up and then I had played keyboard for ever. Mom put me in lessons when I was five. I'd played keyboard for a long time and I just played guitar and bass guitar, and there was one instrument that I picked up, and I struggled and struggled. It was a hammered dulcimer. And oh, man. That is a different instrument. Yes, and I tried and tried to play it, and I think that's one of the only instruments I've ever sold. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a... I went and I played it and I set it up and played and hammered on it because it's like a, it's a dulcimer harp chord kind of thing with hammers. Did you play like the drums? And I'm thinking, man, this is the coolest thing. And, uh, and I wasn't going to let anything beat me. So on one trip to uh, the Smoky Mountains, I seen this store up there and uh, I guess it was Townsend and uh, they had hammered dulcimers. So I went in there and I'm like, hey, do y'all give lessons? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, okay, I'm up here for four days. Do you have anything available for lessons or whatever? I'm going to learn how to play this. She said, are you a musician? I said, yes. She said, you got to forget everything you know about music. You just got to have a clean slate to do this hammer dulcimer. And I'm like, Oh, my. Okay, let's look at something else. So I think I went and bought a psaltery. <laughs> and in the Bible, David plays a, there's a psaltery in the Bible. So I went and got a psaltery and uh, come home and I sold the hammer dulcimer in a yard sale. Good gracious, Dave. I think with the list of instruments that you do play, we'll let you off the hook not playing the hammer dulcimer because it is a different, that's a different kind of instrument. So that's funny. That's awesome. So I want to jump back to, because there was some formative stuff in your life and you, your career, you deep into music and, and different things like that. But early on, you were, your baseball team, this is just how far back it goes, your baseball team had a unique sponsor. Who was your youth baseball team? And tell us about that team and how that was formative for you. So my 
rec team. Back then, not everybody had a helmet or a bat. We had four bats, five bats, and we had five helmets. And our teams were sponsored so that we could afford the jerseys and everything that come along with it. My, I think it was 12, 13, 14, 15 year old teams was sponsored by Fame Recording Studios. And we were the Red Sox. Now, tell everybody who Fame Recording Studios is, just so they know. Just because there might be some listeners that are not in the music community don't know who Fame Recording Studios is. Fame Recording Studios is the original studio in Muscle Shoals that kind of hit big with Aretha Franklin, Etta James, the founder oh of Fame Recording Studios, Rick Hall. He's the one that had the vision that started everything. He had the work ethic. He had the drive that just catapulted Muscle Shoals. Every, everybody wanted to come to Muscle Shoals and play with these studio players and play at this recording studio. Wow. And they sponsored your baseball they team. They sponsored my baseball <laughs> team. The studio recording Aretha Franklin and Etta James, all these people is sponsoring your youth baseball yeah. team. That's awesome. Percy That's Sledge, so cool. Wilson Pickett. Dwayne Allman played there. He was a studio musician there. Gosh, there's, just look it up. There's so many. I'm going to miss 90% wow. of them. But, uh, so they sponsored the baseball team. And not only did they sponsor the baseball team, Rick Hall's son, Rodney, was one of the coaches. Oh, wow. So That's awesome. It, it, the hard work, the, uh, the dedication and hard work from Fame Recording Studios bled over into the baseball field. I remember I remember there being a man up in the stadium or up in the stadium seats, the little bleachers. When you were young, they were huge, but it was just the bleachers, little aluminum bleachers there. I remember a guy there with curled up mustache recording, recording the some of these games and stuff. And I'm thinking, who is that? I, I had no clue. That was Rick Hall coming to watch his son Coach wow. of baseball, coming to watch the team that they sponsored. Oh. And now I know that Rick Hall was a baseball coach. He coached his son's team. Oh, and wow. He took time out of the busy recording studio to make sure that he put into family, that he put mm. into the community, and mm. he coached his son. So that was important. It was important his son coach a team. And they, the, we were instilled so much that were they instilled into us work hard i think we practiced baseball every day after school we would go we would run we would and i, I think we lost one game in three or four years one game good gracious it, so he was so the son was legit that when and when he was coaching your team this was not just like some kind of, yeah, let's get together on Thursday afternoons and hit some balls kind of thing. This was intense. This We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yes, this was very intense. We practiced batting, fielding. I can't tell you how many times Rodney hit us fielding drills. We're drilling double plays, you know, where to go, what to do, doing all this stuff for rec ball, for recreational baseball. That's great, but the life lessons that it taught us that I took from that. I didn't even understand we were getting life lessons. Mm. No clue that That's we so were true. being given that. So 
When you look back on that and you think about some of the greatest type lessons that you would take away from that, what do you think back on that and some of the coaching wisdom and insights that was passed on? Hard work, never give up. And if you're down in ruins, you're not out. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. And I like that a lot. We, I was just on our last show. We had guest Cal Bradley, because we were talking about the one-on-ones as, as an organization, Think Me Thrive, we provide a coaching system that we implement in different companies. And one of the things that I'm passionate about is it's so cool to hear it was such a meaningful part of your life and your background, you're growing up is youth sports coaching. And I've coached many years as a girls soccer coach. I take my own medicine in that. And it's cool to hear that your experience was that both the founder of this amazing, one of the most amazing studios in the country is coaching his son and then his son is passing it down to you. I know that I got just as much out of coaching as any of the kids, maybe more than the kids from just going through the exercise and the intentionality of coaching and really the rigor of it and saying, okay, how do I motivate these kids? How do I train them? How can we get better? How do we improve? How do I encourage them? And all these things. Then I took that back and it was like me and Kyle were talking about it on the last episodes. We're taking that back into the workplace. And then I can take it, whether it's a music studio or engineering, technical services or whatever the occupation, there's so much that I pulled out of that experience that I could take into leading teams at work that I just think is really valuable. So I'm glad to hear that uh, the owner of the Fame Studios was our Fame Recording Studios was was passionate about family and community and developing people. That's a great story. All right, so we've talked a little bit about your background, talked a little about your music interest and baseball and different things, but there's a new there's this new focus that you've had. It's made you quite prolific on social platforms and Barstool Sports and YouTube and things like that, TikTok even. So tell us about what in the world, because I mean, I don't even know, like when you say that you're a blade sports competitor, what does that even mean? What is a blade sports competitor? So blade sports is a nonprofit organization. They promote knives as tools. It's competitions that happen all over the United States and uh, culminating in a national competition in April, and then a world competition in the 1st of June. And it's where you take a knife, you either build it, or you can use a knife from another builder. And the knives are choppers. They don't have a point to them. They're just flat on the end. There's certain specifications, and all this is on the website, www.bladesports.org. All this is on that website, and you can find them on Facebook, Blade Sports International. But you just take this knife, and you take it through extreme paces. The competition is timed, and you get points for individual cuts. So there may be 13 or 14 different cuts in this competition, anywhere from a 2x4 to a 2x6 to two-inch free-swinging manila rope, straws, packing tubes, shipping tubes, water bottles, you name it. You, there's nothing standard. There, there's something different on each course to cut. It, there may be tomatoes. There may be 
oranges, tennis balls, golf balls, rolling tennis balls and golf balls. So you're really taking this knife and you're putting it through extreme paces. You're cutting a tennis ball with it. You're cutting a golf ball. You're cutting an oh, oak dowel. You're, and then you cut paper. So you're basically showing how this knife holds under a heavy load, how it holds up under finesse cuts, and you're just going. So you get points for each individual cut, and then it's timed. That's that's how you determine the winner. Oh, my goodness. So you have a sponsor right before the show. You're taking a call from your sponsor. Then you're going all over the country and doing this. And I've seen some of your videos, which are incredible. I'm blown away. I, I, there's, no, there's no way I could cut through some of the stuff that you've cut. What's been some of the hardest things that they've asked you in these competitions to, 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 to cut? Yeah, you mentioned my sponsors. I have an amazing set of sponsors, Pops Knife Supplies. They sell knife supplies to the whole knife world and community. There's four owners, and they're all knife makers, dirt loops, Alan Searles, Joey Berry, and Andy Roy. And they're amazing guys to sponsor. They allow me to do this. They allow me to go and play with knives and talk about life experiences and just share, share with people, just pour into people. They allow me to do that. So when you go around, you're not only traveling to, to compete, you're also being able to share your story uh, about, about actually about something that you've been, you've struggled with over the last few years. Tell everybody about that struggle. I never heard about it until I met you. So this is, so this is a very unique thing, but tell everybody about what you've had to struggle with as you've gone through this. So I've loved knives as growing up and stuff. And as far as the blade sports, I was at blade show in Atlanta and my daughter saw this competition. I wasn't involved in it. And she said, Hey dad, you can do this. So I did that competition and Later on, after I got into blade sports, I, I started having some joint issues and uh, some different things, started having high blood pressure, corporal tunnel syndrome, just had a bunch of different issues starting. Uh, I learned that I was diagnosed with acromegaly. And that is a, that's where there's a tumor on your pituitary gland that produces too much growth hormone, which uh, roundabout way, give me my nickname, Big Hand Dave. Because my disease, what they take old pictures and look and try to see facial changes and stuff throughout the years. And the best they can tell, my disease started sometime in my late 20s, early 30s. And I went undiagnosed for about 16 years. And it had wow. got to the point where it was really affecting me. My hands were growing and my feet were growing and I was... I got wider shoulders and stuff, but I was working out and never really knew. I'd ask some doctors and some professionals and they're like, you're heavier and you're not going to stay the same size as high school and stuff. And so it was just blowed off. And uh, anyway, well, it was diagnosed and found that I had that tumor. It was a pretty big blow, and I, but I was able to kind of transition and I don't really, I try not to get discouraged. I try to transition and push myself. And I use blade sports as that focus. I use blade mm. sports as the focus for me working out every day, going to the gym, even though my joints hurt, and even though 
I hurt and was in pain. I, I used that focus to do that, but to get better and to be in shape for the knife sports and for my sponsors and to be able to do all this. And it, it really has been an amazing godsend that I had mm -hmm. something to focus on. We all have struggles, but, and we see those struggles, but we all don't always see our blessings mm -hmm. and to be able to be able to try to use that blessing of blade sports and the sponsor and stuff to keep me focused to overcoming acromegaly that has been a huge thing in my life i've been able to to be on a a group a panel and work for a, a pharmaceutical company to uh, to give them insight they were developing medication for acromegaly patients and to give them insight on what it feels like and what you go through on a daily basis in 2019 I had a surgery that removed the tumor and my growth hormone levels come back down to normal. Oh, wonderful. But the symptoms and everything, I had 16 years of damage to joints. It causes organs to grow, heart to grow. It causes a lot of different things. I love how you pointed that out though, because I think that's so encouraging. You said, okay, I've got this issue. You don't have the tumor removed and you're just having to deal with this. But I love how you positioned yourself to deal with it. If there's nothing you could do on that, there's some things that's just out of your control, right? For 16 years, you had no control over that. So regardless of it, you had no, you, there was no medical diagnosis or anything. But with all these symptoms, you said, I'm just going to, I'm going to pour myself into something that's I'm really passionate about and focus on. That's really good. That builds me up. That encourages me. And that's what I choose to focus on. And I think that's, I think that's so important because there's a lot of times at work, whether you're leading a team, whether you're leading an organization, or what are you just leading yourself well? You've got to figure out a way to lead yourself first before you can lead others. And I love how you position that. We all go through struggles. We all go through trials. And one of the ways that you were able to essentially make it to the other side was just really choosing where you put focus on. And sometimes it's really hard to focus on, not to focus on the negative, right? So I love how you said, instead of just trying not to focus on the negative, it's like, don't push that red button. And everybody looks at the red button, push the red button. It's no, I'm literally going to put something else in my life that absolutely consumes me enough to where I don't have time to get distracted by this other thing. I, I think that's really healthy. I love that. It's a very healthy approach to it. So that's really good. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. ThinkMove Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one -on -one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one -on -one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. Very good. 
let's talk a little bit about how you got into it because I love the story you were telling me before the show about how it actually came to be because you told about your daughter kind of seeing this kind of event and she's hey dad I think you can do this and then you were like okay I got to figure out how I'm going to do this so there's um a knife show every year called blade show it's in atlanta it's the largest knife show in the world it's it's overwhelming how many knives and i told my wife i wanted to go so we went a couple of years without the kids and one year my daughter went and we went to this all these knives and everything and but we always go to the knives and my daughter and wife and stuff went and the last day, we always left a little early and let them go shopping in Atlanta. And so they would have something to do too. Because sure. I know they're not near as excited about knives as I am. <laughs> I realize that. And I appreciate that. Yep. And I appreciate the fact that they want to go with me and be with me while I'm doing this. And I love to go shopping with them afterwards. And it's just a give and take kind of thing. So we were leaving Blade Show the first year my daughter went. And we was about to walking out the door and there was this competition going on and a lot of people outside cutting stuff and this, that, and other. And of course we'd been two days of nothing but knives all day for two days. So we're going to get in the car. We'd actually got into the car and my daughter said, dad, I really wanted to see that. What they were doing. And uh, I told my wife, I said, we won't be back here for a year so. I'll just take up there and we'll watch one or two before we leave. So my wife stayed in the car. So me and my daughter went up and I think we watched three, three people compete. And I'm like, oh, cool. She turned to me after the first one. She said, dad, you can do this. And I'm like, huh, that's pretty cool. So we left, we went shopping. That kind of planted the seed that had that encouragement from my daughter saying, dad, you can do this. You can beat them. And uh, I'm like, oh, cool. So my wheels started turning. So we got back home and I got online and I looked up the sport and everything. You had to be certified cutter. You had to go through this class. It's about a day class in order for safety training and training how to be a cutter. And uh, this was in June. And I seen where at the end of June or first of July, that there was going to be a class. The very first class after Blade Show was in Waxahachie, Texas. So first thing I did, I Googled Waxahachie, Texas. And it's 10 and a half hours. I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, so I'm thinking way. that is a long way. There's no way that I will ever convince my wife. I could probably go by myself, but I'd like to take my family with me. There's no way I'd ever, that, that would just would not be fun for her. Then while I was on Google Maps, I pulled out a little bit and I seen Waco. I'm like, oh, Waco, Texas. Light bulb went off. I'm like, she loves Chip and Joanna Gaines. So immediately, <laughs> I'm pretty sure wherever I was at, I dropped what I was doing. I run. I said, hey, baby, would you like to go see Chip and Joanna Gaines <laughs> in the silos in Waco, Texas? in july and she's what yes and oh she got excited and then i told her oh by the way you'll have to drive you and the kids there i'm gonna be at a knife training 
And she's, oh, okay, cool. Here we go. We packed up the van, like the Clampets, heading out to Texas. Sure. And uh, here we go, you know, out to Texas and do this knife training. And they go to see the silos and stuff. So it was a win-win all the way around. I think you're just continuing to cycle through that insight that your old music school teacher gave him of knowing your audience, right? So you really played that one well because... You knew your audience well. You look at it, you're like, there's no way I'm going with my family in Texas. Wait a minute. I see Waco on the map. Let's let's see if we can make this work. So I love that, man. I love that. That's so good. That's such a good story. And here's the amazing thing for our listeners. He's been very humble, but you went in your first year competing after that course. You actually made it to the world competition in the first year and ended up placing fifth in the world. So you're one of the top knife cutters in the world. And it's an amazing feat. And then you did that in such a short period of time. We, I guess we need to give your daughter kudos too, because she saw something pretty on and she has a pretty good eye for talent. She might need to be a recruiter or something like that, because that's pretty amazing. <laughs> blade sports. When I got into blade sports, I started doing this. My first competition there at Waxahachie, I placed first in the rookie division. And I'm like, man, I was hooked. It's just caught a fish. I was hooked. It was fun. It's a minute of just craziness cutting with a knife that I drove 10 and a half hours to compete for one minute. Good. It's, but it, it was so much fun. Then that first year I went to competitions and I went to nationals and I placed third overall, not just in the rookie division, but third overall in nationals and was able to go to the, the world competition and it hit there where I placed fifth. And it's just been it's been a fun, fun ride with some amazing people. You've been all over the U.S. You've been on Barstool Sports. You've got some things, some content on there, and also on a reality TV show. What reality TV show were you on for as a knife cutter? I've put in to be on Forging Fire a couple of times and Knife or Death, and I got a call from an Australian lady, and... She says, hey, would you be interested in being on the reality show, the Hamish and Andy show? And I'm thinking, what? And I'm thinking, yeah, that, that would be awesome. So anyway, they set up the flights and everything, and I went with a bunch of cutters. And But it was filmed, and here I'm thinking, I'm going to Australia. I'm thinking, right. yes, I will do whatever <laughs> to go check out Australia free and But it was a filmed as a special top reality show for the Hamish and Andy show. And it was filmed in Waxahachie, south of Dallas, Texas. Oh. And the name of it was like Walkabout or a Gap Year or something like that, where they actually toured the United States, finding different things to do in the United States. So uh, I didn't get to go to, I didn't get to go to Australia, but I got to compete <laughs> so against funny. Hamish. And okay. he did the competition, and so I got to be the heel, which that's the bad guy. I got to uh, say, all right. I'm not going to let him win. I'm going to take him out on this course. <laughs> and it was a fun, fun thing to do. It was about 13 hours of taping for about a, I don't know, 30, 45-minute show. Good it gracious. was crazy, and it was aired in Australia 
and I don't think it was ever even aired in the United States. So, oh my gosh! My, so you you probably got fans in Australia that you don't you haven't even met. Yeah, I, <laughs> it was a fun experience. I did ask them to try Vegemite, but they had to eat it all before they come there, so I didn't get to eat that. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I love that. That's so funny. Yeah, Vegemite sandwich. Guys, good stuff. So. I totally get the nickname because your hands are, I mean, they're just massive. In my mind, I'm thinking, this is how you pivoted that condition to this blade cutting sport. And now you've taken this condition that, you know, was uh, made it hard on you. Now you've turned it into something great. But then we were talking, you're like, actually, it's actually not necessarily that's the case. So the specifications, there's actual specifications for the knife. The knife can't be any longer than 15 inches long overall maximum of a 10 inch blade and which means most people have a five inch handle for me five inch handle really just doesn't work so Gracious. my blade is nine to nine and a half inches long with a five and a half for over handle which so it, it actually gives me a little bit smaller blade oh. than the normal it makes it harder for you because you have less blade to cut and still you're competing as one of the top blade blade sports competitors in the world. That's just incredible. I, I love that. You have a variety of interests. I feel like, and we haven't even got into like you're, you're a city councilman in Muscle Shoals. So you're in like politics. You do politics. You've played with all these great musicians. You've played about every instrument there is to play. And now you're a world-class blade. So you've been, I guess what's very interesting and fascinating and i hope that the listeners are picking this up is that what you've done you've been at a very high level in a variety of areas even going back to youth sports you were on a team that didn't lose for multiple years you lost one game and then you go into music and you're playing with elite elite musicians and some very talented people and then you just decide to get into blade sports and you just fit it like a hand in a glove and it's like immediately you go from nothing to top top competitor one of the top in the world i guess my question is how would you explain your ability to be successful in multiple different genres or multiple different areas that are completely unrelated i think it's drive i think it's life lessons that i've learned from my parents from coaches in my life from teachers i think you need to find what you're passionate about what you want to do so what you may not be good at it don't find just what you're good at but find what you're passionate about and then do what it takes to be good at it you've got to be willing to do what the other person isn't you've got to be willing to practice as far as baseball every day after school there far as music you've got to practice every day and not just a set time i know a lot of when i was younger growing up and I, I really didn't enjoy i enjoyed music but i didn't enjoy the practice part of it mom would yes. set a timer for 30 minutes and <laughs> and i would sit there and i would listen for that timer to be but i also realized that in order to be good at something to be the best that I can be at something. Mm. I don't need to be listening for that timer. I need mm. to practice just 
for me to practice. And when, when that, for me, when that kind of become a reality, then I would sit down and I would have to set an alarm to tell me to quit an hour later or two hours mm. later. I have something that I'd plan to do. So instead of setting a timer, I'd have to set an alarm to remind me that, hey, you've actually got something else you need to do. And the same thing with blade sports. I get out and practice. I sharpen my knife. I practice sharpening knives. Honing those skills. Iron sharpens iron. And you just keep pressing forward. That's one thing with dacromegaly. I really, really push. Because there's days that, you know, when joints are hurting and when it's just pain and your hands are drawn up, there's days that I can't hold a knife. There's days where it just hurts. But just working through that, and uh, it just really gives me a goal, you know, to work through that and to do because my sponsors are amazing and I want to do good for them. And I want to promote them because they promote me. I just, it's just that drive, having that drive, finding the thing that drives you and then finding your audience, finding your song, the song that you sing best, the genre that you sing best, finding your place. That's a huge, huge thing, you know? Man, I hope people were taking notes when you just went on that montage because that was fantastic stuff. That was worth the whole episode right there. I love the mental picture that you dropped when you said, I, my mom set a timer and then at some point it clicked and then you started playing and said, I had to set an alarm to, not to tell me that I had to go for this long, but actually tell me when to quit. That I feel like is when you've made the mental shift that you're talking about and you found what you would call, you find that drive, you find that inspiration, you've latched onto some idea that you realize that this is what I'm enjoying, it's what I want to do. And it turns, it, it moves it from something I have to do to something I love or want to do. I love that. So if you're listening to the last 10%, you need to be asking yourself a question right now. And that is, what are things in your life that you're actively, intentionally engaging in that you would actually have to set an alarm to stop doing when you get involved in it? Because it's just so good that you can't put it down unless you're reminded. I think that's fantastic. When you talk about your story, some of the things that stand out to me is that you were surrounded early on with inspiring people. And you talked about that the head coach of your baseball team being very inspiring. He was very driven. He helped the team be very driven and focused and intentional about their time. And you had good mentors and coaches. You talked about the incredible musicians that were your teachers early on. And they were inspiring people as well. They were teaching you about gigs and not just more. It was more than just notes on a page. And you talked about having, you know, intentional practice that you're constantly refining and honing. And that was that setting alarm versus setting a timer. And you were goal oriented. You obviously said, hey, this is what I want to do. And you set some of these things, especially with the blade sports. You just put that out. And then just finding that drive, you, you've made so many great re references to being passionate about something and letting that interest and passion fuel your practice and fuel the discipline of the practice. So people talk about discipline and I think with music, it's easy to see. I think it's actually really easy to see with music because it's like we were going back before. 
if you have to exercise discipline, it's like your mom setting the timer, right? And so you're only going to exercise absolute minimum amount. If I have to exercise self-discipline every single time I pick up the instrument, then I'm going to say, okay, mom, 30 minutes, set the timer, let's go. And I'm going to force myself to do that. But it's, but the well of self-discipline that we all have is not deep enough to accomplish something great like that. It's, it has to be greater. It has to be more. And I think that's when you say you tap into that drive. Yes, you have to have discipline, but it's a different, it's not exercising it in the same way because you were saying I had to have discipline to set an alarm. So I'd stop. So that's, yes, you still have to have discipline to pick up the instrument. You still have to have to get started and stuff, but Letting that run is so much better. I love that. And then I love the idea that you said of finding your song. Whether you coach youth league or whether you're coaching and leading, we call them a leader or manager, a business owner. If you lead a church or a nonprofit, we call you a leader coach because we believe at the last 10%, think we've thrived, that you're responsible. You are responsible for doing your part to help those that you serve, those that you coach, those that you lead, find their song. That's when we talk about it in business. We'll say things like, you need to get the right people on the bus and then get them in the right seat. Well, what does that mean? It means helping people find the song, their song. Where do they fit in the big picture, in work? Where does their work line up with their passions and interests? And so you have an interest and as a, and a responsibility as a coach in doing that. So I just feel like this has just been, man, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. I just love it. I'm very thankful that you've had success getting that tumor removed and you're recovering from that. And it's, or I should say it's in remission. You did mention that there was a charity that you would like to talk a little bit about. So I'd love to give you a chance to talk about CASA. Actually, too, the agromegaly community. If anybody has acromegaly, there's an awesome community on Facebook that you can get into that really will help you navigate through that. Cause that is, that's a hard thing to do on your own. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. awesome cheerleaders in that community mm -hmm. that, that have the same issues and can help cut through the fog and help you there. Another thing that I'm very passionate about is the organization CASA, which stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. My, I have seven grandkids, and five of them are adopted, and mm. they all come from foster homes. And they all had a Court Appointed Special Advocate. That's a volunteer worker that takes their time and goes through training on their own from a national organization that has local organizations. And that worker stays and fights with the kid. DHR workers kind of change in and out, court attorneys and judges, and that stuff kind of changes in and out. But that's the one, one standard will be that worker through beginning to the end of that case, whether they get placed back with their family or they go into adoption or whatever happens. That worker is there fighting for them, not only in court, but in school, in life. And that they know that person's there. They can call just persons there in their corner 
fighting. A lot of times it's hard to get in touch with if that kid had a guardian ad litem lawyer. It may be hard to get in touch. That cost worker is just a phone call away or in seeing the kid in it, in its environment. So that's a, that's a huge organization that helps kids that are in some tough times. So that's a, something very near and dear to my heart. That's awesome. And we'll put links to these organizations on the show notes of this episode. So if you're interested in the community that can help support you, if you have acromegaly, then we'll put a link to that. And also the CASA will we'll also put a link to that. All right. So Big Hand Dave, when is your next competition? Is there one you've got coming up that you're preparing for? The next big competition is next weekend. Oh. So it will be the world competition in Atlanta, Georgia, the first Saturday in June. Okay. And it will be, there will be 10 cutters present, all competing for the world championship. That's awesome. That's exciting. Are we ready? Have you feel like your training is going well? Where are we at, where are we at in the training? You feeling good? I, I feel like the training is going well. I do a lot of research. I try to pour that passion into training and train smarter. And so a lot of it's upper body and shoulder type stuff. So I was able to check some videos out and I saw a mace workout with an actual mace weighted on one end. You can actually Google that on mace workouts and it's a huge workout for your shoulders and and stuff. So started light on that and that I'm trying to prepare best I can with cutting and got the knife sharpened up, ready to go. And uh, just pushing forward, just ready to go. That's awesome. Is it recorded or is it on TV or where can people check that out? If they wanted to tune in and see you compete, so where can people find that? It'll be that first Saturday at the Cobb Galleria in Atlanta, Georgia. And it will be posted. I'm sure there will be a, some live feeds on that. I'm not sure where to find them. I'll try to let you know so you can put it in the notes of the show. Sure. But. There will, I will post YouTube feeds and Instagram feeds and TikTok stuff of after the competition of the show, put some music with it or not, or whatever, just show the cut. It's amazing how blade sports and how barstool sports kind of picked up on blade sports. When COVID hit, pretty much all sports stopped and everybody was looking for sports. Just something yeah. to do in sports. And uh, I had never watched Barstool Sports before then. But I got a call one day said, hey, your video popped. You know, so the video from 2019 popped up in 2020 on Barstool wow. Sports. And uh, it was, I think uh, that video has 1.2 billion views now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. and That's uh, insane. People are awesome picked that video up and played it. Yeah, so it's actually the video that has 1.2 billion views is me and another cutter, Big Chris, and another cutter from Thailand. There's Big Hand Dave and Big Chris. I feel like if you're going to be a world-class cutter, you can't come without a nickname. I mean, Shrimpy doesn't work. If you're a cutter, you need, you got to have a strong you got to have a strong nickname. So I think that's awesome. I cannot believe 1.2 billion views. That's incredible. That's rare air. That's a lot. That's a lot of views. Congratulations. Well, listen, where you said you're on YouTube. 
your own Instagram and where, where can people find you? Cause we want to make sure that if they want to check you out and subscribe, they can find you. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok at David Moore 505. Okay. We will put all these feeds into the show notes as well. So if you want to connect with Big Hand Eight, you can go into the show notes and find him on all the social platforms, support him, check him out, subscribe to his channels, check out his upcoming battle we'll be cheering for you man we'll be rooting for you on june 1st that's exciting man Th thank you for being on the show prior to your competitions uh, okay we always ask the guests we always ask the guests if there's anybody that they would like to hear on the last 10 percent. so is there anybody you'd like to hear on the last 10 percent? i'd like to hear my mom okay i love it yeah she's an amazing woman she has the same drive as me she has started a nonprofit group called Master Crafters, and it's a group of ladies that get together once a week, and they sew for missions. Oh. They sew anything from dresses to T-shirts to blankets to they do, the, they do the little gowns for the stillborn babies and donate them to the hospital so they can give them to the parents. Oh Salvation dolls. They do dolls to put into the back of police cars in case there's a kid. Oh, wow. They do a That's huge awesome. ministry through sewing. But mom has always, mom has always had that drive. And seeing her and her drive has inspired me throughout the years. And uh, I would love to, to hear her on this podcast. To hear her on the show. All right. Well, I think that uh, sometimes I'll have to go and find people or get connections to, to link up with certain people. But I think, uh, think we've got a good connection to see if we can reach out to your mom to get her on the show. So that might, be, that might work just great. It sounds like she's an amazing woman. I have not even, when you said that about dresses for stillborn babies and dolls in the back of police cars, those are just really tough situations. And she's really, she's finding a need and filling that in an amazing ways. So very thankful for her and her vision to impact people in positive ways. Good for her. That's awesome. Good. Well, uh, David, this has been a pleasure. This has just been the funnest show. I love it. I, it met every expectation. It's just been great hearing your story and just in letting you share some real wisdom with us and then listeners. And I just know that everybody's appreciated. So thank you for, for being on the last 10%. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on the last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.